It's, it's a bestseller, and if you haven't read it, you really need to get hold of it because it really is good. Chad, we look forward to what you've got to say. Give him a shout. Thank you. Well, good day. Ah, yes. The magic pointer thing. I can use that. Good morning. It really is good to be here. How many of you glad you came already? You're already glad you came. It's been a good investment already, hasn't it? Very good. Well, like um, Rob said, I'm from Australia. I have four children. My eldest is 15. Thank you. And my youngest is one. I have a baby, a baby girl whose name is Zoe Joy. Now, you don't need to know much Greek to know what Zoe Joy means, do you? Yeah? And she really, she really is a joy. And uh, she's, uh, my wife was here with me with her just a couple of days ago. So it's been a privilege to be with you. As Rob said, about five years ago, I wrote um, a little book called He Qualifies You. Uh, I don't have any for the, the table here because um, I've sold out and I'm about to republish uh, the next lot. So I don't have many. But I do just have a few that I've been able to give away to people. And uh, basically, it's a book that deals with the three major covenants in the Scripture to help people understand effectively how to read the Bible properly. One of my great passions in life is, uh, one of my great callings, I think, is not even to teach the Scripture, but to help people to teach themselves the Scripture. That's far more important to me, is not to teach the Bible, but to help people understand they can teach themselves uh, to read the Bible properly. And so that book is designed partly to do that. And then uh, at the moment, I'm working on another book uh, that I'm calling You Can Handle the Truth. <laughs> and it's about, it's about rightly dividing the Word of God, about uh, Paul writing to Timothy to say how you correctly handle the Word of Truth. And so I'm working on that at the moment. But I'm just wondering this morning, I'm going to just step out on a limb here, uh, take a risk. Is there anybody here this morning called Roland or Ronald? That's not a unique name. That's a fairly unique name. Anyone called Roland or Ronald? I can't hear. Yes or no? Is there no? Ronnie. Ronnie. What's Ronnie's name? Ah. Oh. No, I mean in English. What's his name in English? What's his name in Malaysian? Ronnie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is, is Ronnie here? Where's Ronnie? I don't know. Where's Ronnie? Come on, bro. He's out there. Oh, for goodness. <laughs> Pastor Peter, would you just give that to Ronnie when he finally comes in? He can have that as a gift. Bless you, Roland. All right. Um, we're going to... Uh, don't worry about it, you're too late, you missed your chance. <laughs> Stock take sale is over. Uh, now we, um, we're going to have an opportunity to teach the scripture this morning. Uh, I'm going to actually teach something that in some ways is going to be quite familiar to you, but as always I like to uh, maybe bring a different angle that you may not have seen before. Uh, a couple of days ago I shared here at the conference about having a heart for the house, having a heart for God's people. And one of my Filipino friends said to me uh, when we were shopping later on, they said, you can't have a heart for the house until you really understand the heart of the house. 
and ding, something resonated in me. And so I thought, that's what I'm going to speak. What's this called? Glory and grace. That's what I'm going to speak. I'm going to speak about having, about understanding the heart of the Father's house. And we're going to do that by looking at a case study of a story that many of you are familiar with. But I want you to not be over-familiar today and trust God, the Holy Spirit, to show you something that you may not have seen before as we look at the story of the kissing father. The story of the kissing father is found in Luke 15. So can you please open to Luke 15? Bless you. Luke 15. Are you okay? Good morning. Heart of the house, the parable of the kissing father. In uh, That sounds very echoey to me now. Oh, okay. Let's read the first three verses because one of the most important things before approaching a scripture is to understand the context. And one of the most important things about context is seeing who the audience is the primary audience that is being spoken to. And we see that in verse 1 and 2 and 3. Chapter 15, Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them these parables. Jesus is about to tell parables to Pharisees, to religious people, to explain why he is treating sinners in a certain way. And he tells, as you know, three stories that are very similar. The first is the story of the searching shepherd. Some of us call it the story of the lost sheep, but it's not really the story of the lost sheep Because the shepherd is the most important character. It's the story of the searching shepherd. Jesus' point is about the nature or the heart of the shepherd who would leave the 99 to go to the one. He is, Jesus himself is the good shepherd. He is the searching shepherd. The second story he tells is very similar. It is the story of the attentive woman. Not the story of the lost coin. Because the lost coin is not really the focus. The main focus is the heart of a woman. Isn't it amazing that Jesus uses a woman to show us what God is like? Of course he does. I don't know how often people did that in first century Judaism. But Jesus did not mind. Saying, you know what? God is like an attentive woman who lost one coin. And back in those days... Uh, a coin, they used to have 10 coins that formed a headdress that women wore as a sign, a little bit like a wedding ring. It was a sign of their covenant. And she lost one of those coins and she was attentive looking for that coin and she rejoiced when she found that these stories have many similarities. They have slight differences, but one of the similarities is that someone was willing to search for something that was lost and celebrate it when it was found. And so... Jesus draws his audience in with these two stories and then tells a third, which is remarkably similar. He tells the story of a kissing father. So let's read that in verse 11. 
Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, but there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pogs the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said, Oh, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him and said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead but is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You can get excited now. Now, it seems logical that that would be the end of the story because that's how the other stories ended. Yes? Something was lost. It was found. Celebration. Something was lost. There was found. Celebration. Something was lost. It was found. And there was celebration. And Jesus has this pattern to his stories. But with this one, he makes a very... He makes, he, he makes a difference. In fact, what is done is he is... He has sucked his audience into something where they can see what's going on. Oh, yes, I see what's happening. I see what's happening. I see what's happening. And then he surprises them. He actually brings a punchline that is remarkable and that gets them off guard. Because this whole time, the Pharisees thought that Jesus was talking about the sinners, which he was. Yeah? He was talking. But now, all of a sudden, he brings the story back to them. And he brings them into the story. This is the great punchline that they were not expecting. And so he goes on. Because remember, this is not this, the tale of two lost sons, of one lost son. It is the story of two sons that were lost. One was lost outside the house, but the other was lost inside the house. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead but is alive again. He was lost but he is found. Jesus is wanting to explain to these Pharisees and the religious people, why he treated 
sinners and tax collectors the way he did. He wanted to demonstrate them the heart that God has toward people. Yes? He wanted to show them, I'm doing this because this is what God the Father is like. And in doing that, he wanted to communicate to them as God's representatives on the earth. Because that's who the Pharisees were at that stage in history. They were God's representatives. As God's representatives, this is also how you should be like in dealing with people. This should be your heart. This is the heart of the Father's house. It is what I am exampling or I am emulating to you. And it is also something, this is your job. This is what you should be doing and how you should be receiving people. And yet at the end, he re- reveals to them where their place was and what their posture was like towards people. We'll get to that in a moment. I just want to talk about three main qualities of the heart of the Father's house. The church that I believe is in the heart of Jesus, because Jesus said, I will build my church and he will build a house on the earth that represents the Father well. So I'd like to share with you, if this were my church today, it's not, but if this was, I'd be saying, this is God's desire for our house. Well, I'd like to say in a broad context, this is the heart of the Father for the house that he is building. I want to talk about the heart of the house by using this parable. Are you okay? In Australia, we have, uh, as an OECD nation, we have a credit rating that is very good. Even through the financial crisis, we have what we call a triple A credit rating. So today, I'm going to use three A's. A triple A church, all right? The heart, the heart of the house is a triple A church. The first thing is simply this. What does the heart of a house look like? What are some of its attributes? The first one is this. It is a house where all are acquainted. Everybody say, all? all. Acquainted. All are acquainted with the acceptance, the approval, and the affirmation of Abba. Where all are acquainted with the acceptance, the approval, and the affirmation of Abba. Now, when I say Abba, I do not mean a Swedish pop group. Okay, you know that, don't you? Abba is the Greek word for father or dad. It is an intimate term. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, he called his father Abba. Abba, take this cup from me. We have the spirit of Abba, the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father, we've been singing to him today. So Abba is not a Swedish pop group. It is the name of our dad. And I see a church, the heart of the house is a house where all are acquainted with him, where all know him intimately and personally. They know his acceptance. They know his approval. And they know his affirmation deep with their hearts. It is not just a head knowledge. It is an experiential intimate knowledge that we are acquainted with our Father. Amen. And that is the promise for us in the new covenant that from the youngest to the oldest, from the least to the greatest, all of us can know Him because God has taken away all of our sins. Peter says, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness through your knowing of Him. Everything you need for life and everything you need for a godly life comes as you know Him. To know Him is our great calling. For this is eternal life, said Jesus, that they would know you, Father. Eternal life is not a, des- is not a place. Eternal life is knowing a person. 
Jesus did not come to get as the way and the truth and the life to heaven. That is true, but it's not the main point. He is not the way and the truth of the life to a place. He is the way, the truth, and the life to a person that we would know the Father intimately, that we would be acquainted with Him. Amen. And this is why in this story, there are the two, both of the sons were lost. You see, both of the sons were entitled to the Father's blessing because they were both sons. But neither of them experienced the Father's blessing because they were estranged from Him. One thought that He could do better elsewhere. And so He walked away from the Father's house. One thought that he could earn the favour of the Father, and so he did not walk away, but he worked for the Father's favour. And both were lost. Both were wrong. Both were estranged from the Father. Both were not accurately and intimately acquainted with him. The gospel that we have is the fact that the favour and the blessing of God is unsurpassed. You can't do better. You can't find better elsewhere. Don't walk away from the Father's house. No matter how good it may look, you will never find anything as good as the love and the favour of God. All that's out there is prostitutes, parties and pigs. And it might look good at the start, but it ends up stinking. It's not good for you. You can't do better than the love of God. And you can't work for it either. Because the love of God is not only unsurpassed, it is also unconditional. We do not walk from it and we do not work for it. Both are wrong. We need to be accurately and intimately acquainted and hear those words that God the Father spoke over Jesus at his baptism. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. I accept you. I approve of you and I affirm you. It is the most offensive thing that the fact that the youngest son came back to the father and while he still smelt like pigs and prostitutes perfume, the father kissed him and embraced him and celebrated him. God the father does not tolerate you. He celebrates you. God was not reluctant when he invited the son back into the house. He rejoiced when the son came home. He rejoiced. It is according, Ephesians 1 says, to God's good pleasure that he chose you. God was not under pressure to choose you. He did not see the son coming and go, oh, poo. If I don't accept him, mother will be very angry at me. No, he took great delight in the son. He embraced him, accepted him, and he affirmed him. Acceptance says welcome. Affirmation says well done. When the son had done nothing good, the father affirmed him and celebrated him and said, I'm proud of him. Because God the Father may not be proud of our actions, but he is always proud of us as people. He takes pride in you. Amen. We must all be accurately acquainted with the acceptance, approval, and affirmation of Abba. And the tragedy was that even though the older son was in the house, he did not know God the Father. And this is exposed in his heart. When he says this, he says, Father, you've not even given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. 
when the oldest son saw the party, he did not even see the favour of the father on the son. He did not see the father and son enjoying each other's presence. He just saw a son enjoying the father's provision. And so he did not even care about the father's presence. He did not say, you have not given me a party so that you can kiss me and hug me and dress me. How come you haven't held me and kissed me? No, he didn't care about the father's presence. All he saw was the father's provision. Because religion just sees God for what I can get from him, not who he is. Hey, so all, he, all that he saw, he was jealous for the resources, but not the relationship. He was jealous for the, why don't you resource me, God? Why don't, I want to get something out of you. But God the Father, there was far more than a fattened calf that was given. What he gave that younger son was his presence, was his intimacy. Hello. That's enough for point one. Second thing is that the house, having a, the heart of the father's house, is it, it is a house where all are active. Again, say all, all. are active in authentic agape love. Agape love. Agape is another Greek word. Uh, many of you would know, but there are three main words in Greek that are used for love. The first is phileo. Phileo. Something like that. It means friendship, yeah? We're friends, we enjoy one another's company. The streets of Philadelphia is the, is the, the city of brotherly love. So, and that is a good love. Peter actually encourages us to grow in phileo, to grow in brotherly kindness. It is a good love. Another type of love is the word eros, and from which we get the word erotic, Or erogenous. <laughs> there are no children here. And this is a the sexual love or a passionate love, a chemical love. When you love someone because the chemistry set in your brain is telling you it feels good. Phenylethylamine and dopamine and all that is triggered in your brain. I eros that person. And that is also a good love. Was supposed to be a good love. But the third type is God's type of love. It is agape. And it is an unconditional love. When it was God's own type of love. When I was growing up in Rob's church Rob, with Rob and Glenda, Rob used to say that both the other loves came to somebody, but they had a hook in them. So even brotherly love. I love Peter because I enjoy his company. I love him because I laugh when I'm with him. I, laugh, I love him because I find pleasure in our times together. That is okay, but it is still a love that I get something out of. Eros love. My wife's not here, so I can't point to anyone. My... <laughs> Eros love. I love you because I get good feelings from you. 
I love you because I feel good when I'm around you. It's still, a, it's, still God, it's still a love that God enables us to experience, but it's still a love that has something that benefits me. Agape love is a love that is direct, where if I don't get anything back, I still love, I still love, I still love, because I have the heart flow of the Father through me to somebody else, even if I never get anything in return. And this is the type of agape, this is the type of love the father had for both sons, but certainly the younger son. When the younger son had done nothing for him, he loved him unconditionally. And it is this love, agape, that Jesus said should characterize his house. You see, the first point there, being acquainted with God, is about our relationship with the father of the house. But this point, being active in authentic agape, is about our relationship with one another. For Jesus said, this is a new commandment I give to my new covenant people, that you love one another. As I have agape you, so now you agape one another. Love one another unconditionally. And that is a love that is active. It is the love that John 3.16 says, For God so agape the world that he gave his only son. He was active. He did something with that love. It is not just touchy-feely. It is not just a concept. It is an active agape love. You see, remember, this story is not just about the father and the younger son. It is also about two brothers. It's not just a story about the relationship between the father and his son. It is about the relationship between two brothers. And in God's house, this, this type of love is between one another. This brotherly love is active love where we agape one another. The older brother looked at the younger brother come. And he disowned him and he distanced himself from him because he said he did not describe the younger brother as my brother. He called him this son of yours. The father said, your brother He's your brother. But the older son had nothing to, no, no, no. He's not my brother. He's your son. So this describes a relationship between two brothers. This is what the Pharisees were doing to the sinners. This is what Jesus is showing now. He's showing this is you in the story. This is the way you're... These are not, these are not my people. They might be God's people, but they're not, nothing to do with us. And I wonder if the younger brother's return to the father's house was delayed. Not because he was afraid of the father but because he was worried about what the brother would do and how the brother would treat him. Come on. We all know there's a difference between remorse and regret and shame. When you do something wrong, it is right for you to feel remorse and regret and say, I did wrong, that was wrong. I am at fault, I was wrong. But it is, there is a difference between that and feeling shame. Because shame says, because I did wrong, I am useless, I am worthless, I am hopeless. And that's what the younger brother felt when he was in the, with the pigs. Yes? He said, I will go to my father and say, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I am nothing. He did not get that from the father's treatment of him in the past. He got that because he knew what the brother was like. The brother that puts shame, he's got nothing to do with me. I distance myself from that man. 
Hey? And this is not the heart of the house that Jesus is building. The heart of the house is where we agape one another and we are active in our love toward our brothers. And everyone said, Amen. Third point. Third thing. The heart of the house is a house where all articulate. Everybody say, all, all. articulate. Well done. All are able to articulate the apostolic appeal with both accuracy and ambassadorial authority. And if you don't understand that, just say, eh? Eh? You know what's amazing to me is we often talk about how these stories are different. In the first story, the shepherd goes looking for the sheep. In the second story, the woman goes looking for the coin. But in the third story, the father just waits at the front door. He does not actively leave the house to search for the younger son. But he actively leaves the party to search for the older son. Because while the party was going on, while they were celebrating, while they were eating, while they were dancing, it says the father left the house and went looking for the older son. Come on. Who really was the lost son? Who is the one the father went looking for? He went looking for the older son. And it said there, he came to him and he appealed to him. The word there in, uh, in the Greek is parakaleo, means come alongside and, and, and make an appeal. He entreated him, please come into the house. Please come back with me to my home. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians, where he says, let's turn there, go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. No problem? I think Rob read this last night, but it's good to see again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That word appeal is the same word the father uses, in the, uh, Jesus uses in the story, where he goes to the older son and he appeals to him, please. Come into my house. Please come celebrate with your family. We appeal. He makes his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Come on. God the Father makes an appeal to the older son. Please don't miss out. 
Please come in and enjoy my presence. Please come in and enjoy the party. And I believe the heart of the house that Jesus is building, that he has a heart for his people where all the members can articulate that appeal. Because we are all ministers. Rob said last night, we are all ministers of the new covenant. Yes? We are all ministers of the spirit. Yes? And our message is a message of reconciliation. I wonder how many of us, if I went around this room, and if I were to ask, can you articulate the gospel? Can you accurately articulate? Can you speak? Can you describe? Can you explain? Can you share what the gospel is? What the good news actually is? Can you do that? Can you articulate this apostolic appeal to say, come into the Father's house? And we do that not only with accuracy, we communicate the gospel accurately, but we do so with ambassadorial authority. Because not only did the Father dress the Son in a robe and with sandals on his feet, he put a ring on his finger. Yes? And that finger speaks of authority. It's what Paul says here. We are ambassadors for Christ. We've been authorized. God the Father not only accepts us, affirms us, but then authorizes us to be his representatives on the earth with his authority. Amen? With ambassadorial authority, we represent another government. And these two things, when we understand the gospel in this way, we should be very confident because we realize we're authorized by heaven with authority from our Father. When I speak, it's as if my Father was speaking because I wear His ring. So there are times when we pray that it is okay to go to the Father and ask Him for things. That's okay. That you have permission to do that. That is good. Because as a child, I understand I have a dad that meets my needs and I can go to him. But when I understand I'm not only a child, but I am also a son. I'm not just a child, but I am a son. I understand I am an adult that represents my father. And I don't necessarily go to my father and ask him for things. I go to my problems and I tell them things. So one of the best ways we can see healing come to people is not asking dad to do it, but dad has already said, you do it. And so we don't speak to, this, we don't speak to God about the problem. We speak to the problem about God because we're a son. With apostolic authority, we have his ring and we are able to speak on his behalf. That should give us great confidence, but it should also give us great compassion to those who don't yet know how the, the wonderful acquaintance of the Father. Those of us who believe we understand grace, we are learning. We should be the most compassionate people towards those who do not yet understand, towards the older brothers. And like the heart of the Father, be willing to go to them and appeal to them to come in and enjoy the Father's favour. Amen. Amen. This morning, it would be good for us to pray for people and to speak healing 
and God's favour over people this morning with that authority that we have. We have already, in worship, become acquainted with his acceptance. Have you sensed his approval on you this morning? Isn't that wonderful? You feel safe? You feel secure in the Father's arms? He is a good, good Father, yes? And yet when there are things that are not, do not belong in his house, we have the authority to say, go. Amen? I'm wondering whether some of our team would like to pray for people, have certain words of knowledge or anything for people this morning. I'd like to pray for some, someone this morning that is having difficulty in conceiving uh, children. If you have difficulty in receiving children, I'd like to pray for you this morning.